This show is proudly sponsored by Coinspot.com.au, with the largest range of cryptocurrencies anywhere in the Australian market. With an updated verification process, you can now be verified using only your driver's license or passport within seconds. You can instantly deposit funds and instantly start buying and selling your favorite cryptocurrencies in under five minutes. Coinspot are giving away $10 worth of free Bitcoin for each verified user once they make their first deposit. Just go to coinspot.com.au forward slash BTC123. The Trader Cobb Crypto Show, talking business in blockchain. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Trader Cobb Crypto Show. Today, we've got a guest who is uh, very, very interesting. And I say that about lots of guests, but you're going to get the understanding of why I find this very interesting in just a minute. We've got Claire Weivel-Platter, who is the chairman of The Fold Legal, which basically is a fintech company in the financial services regulation space, more or less. And thanks so much for being here, Claire. I appreciate your time. You're welcome. Lovely to be here. Excellent. Look, um, in all honesty, my introduction. I mean, you, you've got a uh, you know you've got a page long of uh, history as to what you've done and where you've been. If you could just bring us up to speed and let us know a little bit about how you've come to where you are, that'd be fantastic. Sure. Um, I guess we don't think of ourselves as a fintech firm, but in many ways, I guess we are. But that's because we're actually a law firm, um, and we've been working with financial services and credit businesses since two thousand and two. The significance of that date is that it was when a very um, big change was made to the way any financial services firm is regulated. And we basically recognised that small to medium businesses who had not had a big regulatory burden until that time were going to need specialist advice and they wouldn't be able to afford it from the big law firms. So we set up a business that would um, service those firms and help them with their legal needs. And so basically since then we have worked with wealth management, insurance, payments, crowdfunding, um, peer-to-peer lending, robo-advice businesses, um, whether they were fintech businesses using uh, digital means to deliver their services or, of course, in the early days, people-based businesses that were were much more uh, traditional, I guess. And uh, so in 2013 when the fintech wave first started, we, uh, we, we reached out to a number of businesses and got ourselves involved in the community. And, uh, and I think it's, it's probably fair to say that um, since then we've become a go-to firm for that kind of business, um, for fintech, regtech, blockchain, cryptocurrency. Uh, we're working with over 60 fintech businesses at the moment. Wow, so quite qualified. <laughs> That's excellent. Well, look, it brings me to my first question really is, um, Obviously, you know, you, you've seen from 2013, you named as the sort of influx as to when the services became provided by, by uh, your firm. H- how have you seen, I mean, that's what, five years now, which, which isn't a long time as far as years go, but as far as technology goes, things happen very, very fast. And of course, with this new technology that we know as blockchain, things are happening at an even more rapid pace than in traditional fintech. How have you seen things sort of change over the last five years? And was there any key key pivotal, pivotal moments when uh, when you saw that change come in? Yeah, well, in, in about April 2013, um, even though it had been around by that time for five years, blockchain started to become, there, there started to be a lot of interest in blockchain. People were starting to develop um, Bitcoin, all sorts of Bitcoin services, payment systems, um, investment um, 
organ, you know, opportunities, um, uh, and and then starting in the very very early days of looking at blockchain more generally as a as a, a way of um, transacting. Um, and so I was lucky enough at that time to meet uh, some of the people who were looking at forming the uh, what then was the Cryptocurrency Association. And uh, they had organised to go down to Canberra to meet with representatives of the tax office, the um, Competition Commission, um, uh, ASIC, um, DFAT of all people, because it was seen, blockchain was, or Bitcoin was seen as a um, fantastic mechanism of, um, you know, making payments to um, places like the Philippines and so forth, where a lot of Australians are supporting their families. So there were pretty much most, most of the government departments that might potentially have an interest in blockchain, in Bitcoin, were, were invited to come along and basically hear about what it was, how it worked, what we saw the future for, etc. And it was a really fascinating roundtable um, down in Canberra with a lot of people there. And we came away incredibly excited about the future for uh, Bitcoin in particular because the, the sort of, whilst slightly guarded as regulators always are, there seemed to be a reasonable amount of enthusiasm in the, in the room for this new technology. But then um, a dreadful thing happened and was the tax office put decided that for tax purposes, GST, uh, um, it should be subject, Bitcoin should be subject to GST. And that basically meant that most of the people that we were talking with that were looking at setting up Bitcoin businesses of one type or another were effectively put out of business because it was just too difficult and nobody wanted it. It took away the revenue model for, for Bitcoin businesses if it had a 10% tax on it because it wouldn't compete with, with traditional currency, basically. So life was quiet then for probably about uh, a year. Then sort of more traditional fintech like peer-to-peer lending and digital advice started to emerge. So we got very, very busy and engaged in that space. And, and you know, that's when we sort of developed that side of our business. But in September last year, um, a pivotal thing happened uh, which was the rapid increase or recognition of the rapid increase in the price of Ethereum and um, Bitcoin and, you know, Litecoin and various other cryptos, pure cryptos that were around then. And it was really interesting because I'd started, I didn't start investing in crypto in 2013, but I started in early 2017. So I was feeling very happy about the games that I'd made. And then the next thing we know, the phone starts ringing. And, uh, and we would have advised probably uh, 25, I guess, uh, blockchain slash cryptocurrency businesses since then t- that time. Not all of them, uh, of course, have necessarily proceeded because there are some regulatory hurdles that they have to go through and many of them, you know, didn't necessarily have fully, um, fully articulated business cases. But we're, we're certainly uh, looking after quite a number of those businesses now with some really interesting variation of roles that we're playing. What an amazing journey! I mean, we often people talk about um, you know how they got into crypto and how the journey began. Fascinating! Uh, I've never heard a story like that where it sort of began in the halls of uh, of, pa- of Canberra. You know, it's it's uh, it's a very different uh, different viewpoint and a very interesting one. And how the GST kind of squashed a lot of um, 
the the margin effectively for the business. Now, as we've seen the, the space develop, obviously, as you say, you know, September last year, we did see the uh, the price of the pure cryptos, and not just the pure cryptos. I mean, we, we saw many cryptos moving. Uh, I mean, there was a big the big move uh, through May to June, uh, and what would be considered now the alt markets, and then we saw obviously the subsequent uh, very large rise throughout September, October, November, and December, just sort of peaking uh, with Bitcoin in particular. To, towards that twenty thousand US marks, we, we've seen the influx, or what what can happen when basically mainstream media grabs a hold of it. As far as regulation goes in Australia, because I, I speak with a lot of projects globally, I speak with a lot of uh, thought leaders, um, a lot of people that are creating all sorts of things, and some of the you know be, people that created Ethereum, and, and and a lot of people, especially coming out of Asia, and you might be able to comment on this, are very big on Australia's. Um, ecosystem, mainly because we're a trusted country and they believe we'll do the right thing. The regulation in the space in Australia, do you see it as being like, are they open to move forward and, and open the doors a little bit more? Or are we seeing that they're, they're, they're sort of, I guess, taking a little bit more conservative approach to the regulation? I know it's a, it's a tricky question, but what I'm saying is, are they open or not? No, 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 it's when I'm, when I'm very familiar with the uh, – um, I've, I've had a number of meetings with the regulator about um, blockchain and cryptocurrency regulation and, indeed, I'm part of the Fintech Australia working uh, blockchain working group that's working on trying to create a code of conduct uh, for um, bit, or cryptocurrency globally and ICOs globally. So, uh, yeah, it's something it's, that I'm absolutely passionate about, in fact, I would describe the Australian regulators' approach as being facilitative at this stage. They uh, genuinely don't want to rush out and regulate and shut something down by imposing constraints around it in a way that is ill-informed because we don't know what it looks like yet. So they are relying on existing regulatory frameworks at this stage And so what cryptocurrency businesses need to do is to understand how it is that their businesses fit within existing regulatory frameworks and follow those. Now, there's good and bad in that. The good in it is that pure cryptocurrency, where it's used as a means of sort of exchange and payment, is not considered to be a, a financial product. So it escapes an enormous amount of regulation. For example... Um, if you operate a Bitcoin or an exchange that that enables people to either purchase or um, uh, buy and sell cryptocurrencies, you don't at this stage you don't need a uh, financial services license. You do, of course, need to have AML, CTF, money laundering, and CTF um, procedures in place and register with Austrac. But that's a most businesses were voluntarily complying with that anyway. So that's a really good thing. Um, on the other hand, if if what you're doing in the cryptocurrency space moves towards uh, or, or looks like something which is an existing financial services, like, for example, if you're pay- provide, using Bitcoin to provide a payment service, in other words, you, you're facilitating people making payment in Bitcoin, you might then need a financial services licence if you're... The, 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 the amount of your transactions um, and the uh, volume of them is over a certain threshold level. So there's, that's a good example of, uh, or for example, if you're collecting money from people in, and pooling it together in order to invest in, a, in cryptocurrencies on a behalf of a group of people, that might be a managed investment scheme and you, you would need various 
um, consents from regulators to do to, to, to actually offer that managed investment scheme to the public. So here's my confusion, right? So I had an ATO, uh, sorry, I had a crypto tax specialist on just last week. Now, the ATO came out and they said, and look, this might not be your kettle of, you know, where your expertise lies, but it's just sort of a, um, a, a, a it'll link up, don't you worry, <laughs> to what you were talking about. But um, essentially, it was saying that, you know, the, the ATO came out and said, what do you want to, you know, hit? To the crypto public, what do you think we should do? What are your suggestions? And everybody that I know, uh, everybody, all the comments that I read across the different boards and whatnot was that um, we were sort of, the community was saying taxes when it comes back to fiat, when it comes back to Australian dollars, that should be the taxable item. So it's nice and easy. Also, it makes it nice and easy for the ATO who just don't have the, I just don't believe they have the resources to police this properly just yet. But what they're saying is crypto to crypto, they want to tax that, which seems like a very complicated thing. Also, tying in with the fact that the regulator is sort of saying it's not a financial product, they don't regard it uh, as a financial product. So if I'm selling my AMP shares, I'm selling it back to Australian dollars. That's the ta- that's that, that's the tax event because it comes back to Australian dollars. And then I can reinvest whatever's left outside of that tax bracket. Now, it just seems odd that they're saying it's not a financial product on one hand, but on the other hand, they're treating it just like a financial product. I know the ATO and the, and the, the two different bodies, but do you see what I'm saying? That it's almost like the left hand isn't speaking to the right a little bit. That there's a bit of confusion. The reason that it's taxable is not that it's a financial, not a financial product. That's a double negative. I realise it's because of this. It's it's actually it doesn't actually matter what it is. Think about it's like a barter system, right? Let's say you buy some gold and you pay a hundred dollars for your gold, and you exchange that gold for silver that is worth the dollar equivalent of 120, you will have made a capital gain of $20, right? Okay. Yeah, no, I understand that. That's a really good analogy, actually. We love analogies here. <laughs> yeah, so if you, if you sell the, if you if you'd make, do the transaction within 12 months, it'll be a 50% capital gains tax. You'll pay $10 of that to the tax office. If you do it within, uh, after 12 months, it'll be a 25% um, capital gains tax and you'll pay, pay $25 to the tax office. And, and, and this is the inherent problem, right, because people who are, let's say in a simple case, you're buying Bitcoin at a great price and you then use that Bitcoin to pay for something. So if the value of the Bitcoin you use to pay for something at the time you sell it is greater than what you paid for it, you'll have made a capital gain that somehow you've got to, like, account for and there is it's not just the tax office not being able to police it neither can nobody can actually record that because you don't well I guess you'd have to keep your receipt and then find some way to put that into uh you know like into some sort of um accounting program that could then relate that transaction back to the price of the bitcoin that you actually purchased and used to pay with pay for that good like that's they just it doesn't exist, right? Not only can the tax office not police it, but we as individuals can, at the moment can't other than manually um, uh, even calculate what it was. Here's a, I mean, this is a, a perfect. I mean, people are looking at the markets now. You know, people that don't understand the technology that, that are, you know, what, what I call millennial investors. They invest and they think that the period of investment is three to six months, not three to six years. Um, just to give an understanding of like how early we still are in this space. You know, we don't have yet accounting software to take care of that properly. Like, it's it's not in place yet. Now that's a hurdle. But because that exists, the opportunity still exists for us to help to develop the space. 
And I understand that it needs to be regulated to a certain extent. And I, I do, look, ultimately, I do like the way Australia is sort of handling that regulation, i.e. they're not doing any knee-jerk reactions. They're not jumping up and down and banning things. They're not making it too difficult, which is really, really good. And it's why at the moment we're a bit of a powerhouse. Uh, we punch well above our weight. And, and we are a community, although a very small population, we're a community that the world does like to work with. So moving away from that, with with what you do, obviously, you say you work with a number of different fintech blockchain technologies, uh, or sorry, companies. Is there anything right now, like any um, particular move into a certain sector? Like we, we saw, we've seen the, the likes of Power Ledger and the different energy players, and we see many more coming out. Is there any sector right now that you seem to be noticing a lot of traction, uh, a place where there's going to be a lot of disruption coming up that you're aware of right now? Oh, in terms of blockchain, look, because I guess I'm a financial services lawyer, the thing that I, I mean, my ultimate prediction about blockchain is that it's going to do away with all sorts of layers of intermediation. So let's, and this is really out there, okay, but let's think about property, right? Right now, if you buy a property, um, you basically have to buy the entire piece of real estate unless you invest in what is effectively a managed investment scheme, which is uh, either Domacom or BrickX or one of those, which has fractionalised properties. But you've got to look at the way they do that. Everyone thinks, oh, I can just buy a brick, you know, through BrickX, and that's great. Actually, what they that's not true. What, what the technical structure that underpins that is that they say, all right, we'll buy a, you know, a unit of, of a, I don't know, Fairfield or something, and we will split that into a hundred portions and you can basically buy a portion. And it's the the property is actually owned by the trustee of a managed investment scheme, but you can buy a unit in that scheme that represents, you know, a portion or a proportion of that of that land. So at the moment, there's a even though it looks simple, there's actually a massive regulatory structure that sits around that. Similar, similarly with um, with shares, let's say you wanted to buy Berkshire Hathaway share, right? It's massively expensive. I don't know how many, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars they are these days. The only way you can effectively buy that is to buy into a managed investment scheme that can sort of give you an interest in that. But eventually, I believe that it will be possible for those sorts of um, assets to be fractionalised using blockchain without necessarily, because you're going to be able to identify the, um, the, the underlying asset and the owner of that, you know, and the share, the share of the underlying asset, I think that longer term, whilst we'll need some sort of a governance structure around it, a little bit like strata management, for example, you'll actually be able to fractionalise those sorts of assets and, um, and, and potentially without the need to have a managed investment scheme. Now, that is, I can tell you, that would take massive regulatory change, but I think that's the kind of impact that blockchain could potentially have in financial investing, and that would be massively exciting. It would change the game completely. It would bring more people into asset classes. Like, you, for example, you can't buy a Picasso now unless you've got $50 million. Well, if we do it this way, we can still have a, we can have a wonderfully diverse portfolio covering things like fine art, real estate internationally, domestically, shares. We could have a hugely 
you know, diversified portfolio that we can manage ourselves as opposed to, okay, well, unless we go in with a giant fund, we, we can't have exposure to many of these things. And it adds more weight for the individual to be educated about their finances and to learn more to move forward, which I think is a really important thing for everybody globally. I think it's a part that's often skipped. And what it also does as well for the um, for the institutions, the big the big players out there, is if, if it's pitched in a way that you just did in the sense of, you know, let's, let's fractionalize things, bring in more opportunity, uh, then we can see those types getting on board and helping the space to grow by sort of championing it from championing from the front because they get a benefit as much as the consumer gets a benefit and that's kind of in the financial services side of things that's what I'm excited about as well so I'm really stoked to hear your take on that because the tokenizing or, or the you know however you want to you know, whether you say tokenizing or whether you say, you know, breaking it down, fractionalizing, same, same thing. I think that that's really where there's, um, you know, a, a wonderful opportunity for blockchain to sort of really shake up what has been a relatively, I mean, it's been relatively untouched typically for quite a long time. It's sort of challenging the norm, which I think is really, really exciting. Is there anything else in the space at the moment that too, you find um, as a challenge or exciting or anything else that you'd like to cover while we've got you? Yeah, well, just, just I should make just one qualification. I should say that, that it's not possible to do what we just talked about under the existing law without a managed investment scheme right now. No, it needs to develop. And, and it will take significant regulatory change and a, a much higher level of comfort with fractionalising of assets and the, the governance arrangements around that. But I can certainly, you know, but, and so, so I don't see that as a fast change, but I do see it as a potential change over time. Um, and in terms of financial services, I think a quicker win will be, um, which will be trading existing financial products. So if you're trading on a stock exchange, for example, I think the potential to um, concatenate the functions of clearing settlement and registry um, is is a really significant thing that blockchain can achieve much, much more quickly. And we are actually working with one organisation who's seeking to set up an alternative um, financial market for securitised um, loan uh, assets and also um, unlisted shares as well. And uh, and, and that, that, I think, will be a real game changer in terms of opening up liquidity in those markets. Yeah, it's, it's important to look at what's close and it's important to have a vision long term as well. I mean, as you say, you know, the, the idea of, um, you know, fractionalizing everything, that's, that's a 15, 20 year play. That, that's a long, long way out. But the good thing is, is the blockchain, no matter whether you look at it at the coalface right now as we stand with the, you know, very early days, whether you look at it five years down the track where we've got a little bit more regulation and possibly some more institutional plays and a more evolved space and a more accepted space and a space where it's being used more frequently, or whether you look right down the track, which is a completely, you know, overhaul revolution of the way that um, we do a lot of business in the financial services. When No matter what step you're at, there is, like blockchain still fits. It's not like it runs into a brick wall and stops. It, we continue to have amazing people in the space, um, people championing it, helping to grow it, build the code, build the tech, and the, the visionaries. It's an entrepreneur's dream. Everyone's in this space at the moment. So no matter whether you look right in front of you, Mid-term or long-term, blockchain appears to be, and I haven't got a crystal ball, believe it or not, but it appears to be something that is not going anywhere. So um, it's been fantastic, Claire, having you today. Thank you so much for your opinions. It's, it's wonderful to have uh, spoken to you. And um, where do people find out more about you, follow you, and, and hear more about what you have to say and what you guys are doing? 
Great. Well, um, thefoldlegal.com.au and we have a blog so you can sign up to receive our blogs. We blog on all sorts of things to do with fintech and um, cryptocurrency. So, yeah, really love to have people on board. And, of course, if anyone needs any legal advice, then give us a call on um, 02 Excellent. Well, guys, you heard it first here. I suggest that you all sign up to that newsletter because, uh, as you can tell from the conversation we've had today, Claire knows her stuff, not just because she's a lawyer, but because she's been at the forefront of blockchain and Bitcoin from 2013. So she's well up on it. Very interesting to hear what you have to say. Thank you so much once again for your time. And I look forward to speaking to you down the track. It's a pleasure. Goodbye. The Trader Cobb Crypto Podcast is hosted by Craig Cobb. All Trader Cobb courses, products, and tools can be found at tradercobb.com because experience matters. This show is proudly sponsored by coinspot.com.au with the largest range of cryptocurrencies anywhere in the Australian market. With an updated verification process, you can now be verified using only your driver's license or passport within seconds. You can instantly deposit funds and instantly start buying and selling your favorite cryptocurrencies in under five minutes. Coinspot are giving away $10 worth of free Bitcoin for each verified user once they make their first deposit. Just go to coinspot.com.au forward slash BTC123. Views are of the advertiser, not Trader Cobb or the audio presenter.